Human Trafficking True Crime covers the exploitation of men, women, and children across the world. Subject matter may not always be suitable for children or those dealing with mental health issues. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has been trafficked, please contact the Human Trafficking Hotline by texting HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733. Last Word is a lifestyle brand focused on all things anti-human trafficking. According to the International Labor Organization, over 260 million children are forced into employment around the world. Making textiles and garments for the demands of fashion trends we see all on social media. This will often come at the price of a child being forced into labor trafficking. Our ambition at Last Word is to reduce the exposure of those who are trafficked around the world, starting with the garment industry. Last Word offers consumers a refreshed look at recycled, repurposed, and reloved fashion trends. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that fashion has a way of circling back around, and not always in the best way. Last Word takes all those unwanted and undesired garments, giving them a little TLC or repurpose to create a divine collection you will feel confident, amazing, and inspired in when wearing. Follow Last Word on Instagram at lastword underscore by SL and visit us online at lastwordbysl.com to get your latest fashion trends everyone will be sure to ask you about. An 11-year-old with red hair, a small town marsh fire, numerous eyewitnesses, several composite sketches of different people of interest, rumors of a child exploitation film, one lone shoe, and still over 30 years later, we are no closer to finding answers. What happened on that cold, brisk afternoon in November of 1991? Tonight, we give Mark Kimbaugh the last word. Welcome one, welcome all. We are back with another episode of Human Trafficking True Crime. I'm Shannon the Bree. And I'm Megan Wandell. Hello. Oh, we are here to tell you all the things related to human trafficking and true crime. Yes. I forgot to mention that a couple weeks ago I went to Austin for my long overdue leadership class to the Capitol. So I took a leadership <laughs> class with our city during the year of COVID's, all thing COVID, all things COVID. And we were not able to go to the Capitol because everything was shut down. And so part because of how our state legislation is and they only meet every other year, I got to go this year and I was able to meet with a lot of elected leaders, Tan Parker, who is local here to Flower Mound. He was our state Senate. No, he was our state representative for many years. He is now our state senator or one of our state senators. Wow. So he spoke and then the head of the Department of Public Safety spoke, which I will... Yes. Not common. <laughs> um, no, I think he had a lot of valid things to say. I 
just don't necessarily think that his presentation on the issues of human trafficking and human smuggling were completely correct. He misled a group of people to the way he responded to like the issues at the border and all of the things kind of implied that human smuggling is the same as human trafficking. And I just kind of stood there in shock for a minute and was like, what the hell? But what? yeah, so that was kind of interesting to me. But other than that, I mean, everything was great. I thought it was very well put together. We got there were a lot of people that wanted to talk about human trafficking. Obviously, I wore my shirt with anti-human trafficking stuff. Met with a lot of legislators and have actually since been in contact with them. And one of them is going to try to help possibly gain some traction for our podcast and maybe get us some listeners that... Oh, wow. Ooh, I, know, I didn't scary. even tell you this. <laughs> no, I totally scary. Okay. I totally Either didn't way. even tell you any of this. Yeah, so he wants to work with us about getting some important people that make actual changes on the podcast to talk about human tracking and what we're doing on a state and federal level. So we will see, obviously, this they're in session right now, so we're not getting anything anytime soon because they have to make... Important TikTok decisions. Exactly, <laughs> Megan. Exactly. Do you have a crazy <laughs> news story? I don't have a crazy news story. I will say, you know, we we are recording some weeks behind, but I did notice a lot of Amber Alerts last week. Yes. Oh I was at work and like two of them went off. I'm not sure if they were the same because I was at work and got like could not pay attention to it. But then it was like a day or two later. And I just saw another thing about another one coming out. Um, and the officer speaking at the press conference was talking about the rumors that have been circulating around graphic videos with one of these children. And I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, it was like four or five. Two of them I thought was really interesting did have like an unmarked van. I only got like two. Yeah, no, I had a lot. That's another thing is I've noticed people in my area will sometimes get more Amber Alerts than me. And I'm like, why am I not getting them? Well, also, you know, it could be relative to like where you're at. I don't know what their radius perimeter is. Okay, but but if you're in the downtown Dallas, but still, I'm a little bit more than if I'm in the Metroplex, should I not still get it? I'm still within a vicinity of that person driving from Dallas to where I am. I have no idea how I know you don't know. I'm just complaining about it. That doesn't make sense. If you're in the Metroplex, I should still be getting all of the same Amber Alerts. I could I understand of not getting an Amber Alert out of, you know, Podunk, West Virginia. That's true. I feel like it also has to do with, like, what county you're in. Hmm. I don't know. And I usually bounce back and forth between two counties, so. But a Metroplex, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we're not that I, far yeah. to drive off. You know, maybe they'll, then maybe they'll get better at them. We'll see. But maybe I just, they're censoring them, Megan. overwhelming amount. To me personally, that I've noticed. Yeah. This past week. I so. have been told by. But the past, past weeks, because we're recording. Right. This. Yeah. We're in time travelers. <laughs> yeah. I have been told by law enforcement agencies that if we as a society actually like, if Amber Alerts were truly designed when people actually go missing, they'd be going off 
a lot more than they actually do because there's a lot of criteria around being classified to get an Amber Alert in the first place. So if you discredit a lot of that, you'll hear a lot of people have said that Amber, we'd be getting Amber Alerts all the time because people go missing all the time. That's true. I, it, it was just, I don't know. I was like, oh my God, another, 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 another one. one. It was like a DJ Khaled song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, because we have been recording several weeks behind and because I think we had to throw away one of our episodes, we should let our listeners know the fine, fine folks at the Louisville Police Department did capture the assailants at the pawn shop. I know we had spoken about it, but I can't remember if it was an episode that we maybe didn't end up using. So we want to just reiterate that our law enforcement did indeed capture the assailants that were responsible for murdering or are supposedly responsible for murdering our fellow pawn shop owner. Yes. So... I think that's all of our crazy news stories. In the meantime, you guys can go like, comment, share, review. Subscribe. Purchase anything on the merch page on the storefront. Yeah, check out my girl Shannon's stuff, okay? She's got some good things. She's got some really nice jacket designs that she's got on sale right Thank now. Thank you. They're really, really cute. You can pair them with a nice blouse or maybe some leggings, making it a little more casual, casual, but I think that you should check them out. Yeah. She worked really hard on them. Thank too. you, Megan. That's so sweet. You're so sweet. Yes. So we've got several. I'm almost done with few. By the time this episode comes out, they should be done. Patreon account is moving along. I swear to God, if it's not out by the time this episode airs, we will have serious problems. We're like we're, we're about seventy five. <laughs> we're about seventy five percent done. So we're getting there, guys. But tonight we are talking about Mark Himba. Mark Himba was a lively, energetic, excited eleven year old boy. He was a standout in any room he went into, regardless of what he said or did, because he had fire red hair. Man. Did you ever go to school with a redhead? No, but my cousin is redhead. He's beautiful redhead. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. They stand out. My uncle is too, but he he's bald now. But <laughs> <laughs> Monday, November twenty fifth, nineteen ninety one, the day Mark disappeared. His relatively sleepy town of Delhaven, New Jersey, population only one thousand, endured some serious excitement for the day. It started out with a small marsh fire that broke out. All the town folks and the onlookers on the road had stopped to gather and watch first responders contain this fire. The marsh fire broke out between the neighborhood Mark lived in and the adjacent neighborhood just south. And wanting to see this excitement for himself, Mark sets out that day to... Why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. I'm smiling. Okay, sorry. Mark <laughs> wanted to set out that day to obviously go check it out. I mean, I would. I a small town of a thousand people, not much happening. I've never seen a marsh fire either. So. No, but if there's a fire like right down the street from your house, 
I'm totally going to be a nosy nutty and go check it out if I can walk by it. Why not? That is where we If it differ. was a tornado, would you go outside and watch it? <laughs> no. When that tornado was coming through Louisville, I said, no, I'm going to go in my bathroom. When was there a tornado around here? I mean, hurricane force winds came through here. I must have been in a rock. In a rock? You were in a rock? In a rock, under a rock, around a rock. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Back on track. Marsh fire. He sets out. He wants to go watch this fire like everybody else. Everybody is out there watching this. He promises his mom he would return home shortly and safely. But sadly, dark, sinister forces had other plans in mind. And Maureen has waited almost 32 years for Mark to come back through that front door. Maureen has fought hard to find Mark to get answers on what happened to her baby boy on that afternoon in November of 1991. She has had to endure hearing horrible stories of rape, torture, and abuse. But she, uh, she keeps pushing, pushing forward to find answers on what happened to her son. Mark has missed out on life with his family. He's never gotten to experience his first relationship, high school, college graduation, career, life, all the things that we all get to experience in life. He doesn't get any of that. And it's really unfortunate to say, but whatever happened to Mark that day, it's likely at the hands of a person with pure evil intent, someone who has dark and twisted ideas they want to inflict upon an innocent and vulnerable child. Incredibly enough, the timeline and movements of Mark on that frigid cold day are witnessed and documented by numerous individuals, yet Megan in a split second with all of these people outside, a moment comes when no one has eyes on Mark Himbaugh and a perfect opportunity presents itself for someone to take him and he is never seen again. An 11-year-old boy with bright red hair and his entire life ahead of him simply vanishes into the cold, brisk afternoon on Monday, November 25th, 1991, three days before Thanksgiving. Oh, God, that's so sad. It's sad because when you think about anniversaries of tragedies like this are are always hard, and when they fall around Holidays. holidays... a significant person's birthday, what have you, it it makes it even more Mm gut-wrenching. Gosh. It's really, really, really sad. So who is Mark Himbaugh? What happened that day? Where do we think he is now? Megan, let's, let's start breaking this one down, shall we? All right, I'm ready. We're ready. Mark Himbaugh was the youngest child to his mother, Maureen, and Jody and his father, Jody Hembaugh, born on May 23rd, 1980. Mark was welcomed into the family by his older brother, Matthew, and the two were fast pals. But of course, you always have to factor in there's a little bit of sibling rivalry. Mm -hmm. The Hembaugh family lived in Delhaven, New Jersey, which is a small town located in the southern part of New Jersey. And the Himbaugh's were like any other middle-class American family working to pay the bills, provide a life for their family, and just get by day to day. 
At the time Mark disappeared, his parents, Maureen and Jody, were divorced. They were amicably working on raising their children, though, and Jody lived nearby and was always a present member and involved in his children's life. Mark attended Cape May County Special Services Alternative School. Mark did experience some outbursts and was known to be hyper. So he was placed on medication, which seems to have been helping his outbursts leading up to his disappearance. Jody Himbaugh stated to the local Cape May County Herald that Mark was near genius. I tend to think Mark was probably just a normal 11-year-old boy, good heart, good soul, and just acting out. All right. Thoughts? I don't know. Sometimes when you have that kind of description, I kind of lead towards a little bit more on the spectrum. Maybe, yeah. I could see that. You know, full 100%, but, you know, on the scale, maybe lower, especially when people are describing him as near genius. Right. You can be super smart, and basic functions can set you off because it's just Mm -hmm. lack of a better term below your pay grade. (laughs) Like, you're just like that. Below your mental pay grade. Yeah. You just don't got time for that either way he was also a normal he was and he had a good heart he was kind he was a caring kid and most importantly he was loved and he was somebody's child Mm -hmm. so yes he was cared about he was a loved boy and his family definitely misses him mark's story begins monday november 25th 1991 it started out like a normal day for the Himbaugh family and ended vastly different than anyone I think had ever thought would happen. The boys and Maureen wake up getting ready for the day. Maureen heads off to work where Matthew and Mark go on to school, which, what did I say? Three days. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving is around the corner. has to be a total easy Easy ride. Easy little ride. I mean, what did you do right before Thanksgiving? Roll in the TV. Watch TV. Right. Did arts and crafts. Yeah. A lot of, oh, make a little hand turkey. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Mark comes home after school around 2.15, 2.30, hanging around the house with his mom where the pair talk about their plans to stop by Mark's teacher's home later that afternoon so Mark can see his little crush who happens to be the teacher's daughter. Mm. And that's so cute. The teacher's daughter. I think it's adorable. <laughs> Did you ever have a little crush come to your house? No. I don't think so, no. Some kid one time came to our door for my sister when we were like in elementary school and he had this giant life-size candy cane. Like, it was real, right? But, like, it was wrapped up. That is so extra. Jesus. I mean, it was the 90s. Yeah, no. I just hung around in the neighborhood with all of the people that I knew. Gotcha. Well, Mark had a little crush on his teacher's daughter, and his mother and him had plans that afternoon to stop by and see. I mean, I'm sure the mom probably wanted to catch up on how her son's been doing and what have you, but... Yeah, cute, fun little little crush. Around 3 p.m., a fire breaks out 
just south of Mark's home in Delhaven, New Jersey. The fire was located in a marsh right off of Bayshore Road and the neighborhood adjacent to Mark's, if that makes any sense. So for an 11-year-old kid, this would be super exciting. Mm-hmm. Like we have Wanna stated. Want to go see fire. Totally. Yeah. I'm out there. Nosy nutty. Let me, let me see. To me, tornado watch means get outside and start watching for those tornadoes. Not me. I'll go, I'll go to my bathroom. Thank you. It's not always your bathroom. It's the mo- center most part of your house. Which typically tends to be a bathroom, (laughs) but we should clarify it is not always a bathroom. Mark was going to see about gaining a better vantage point from what's been described as a radio tower from his backyard. Now, before doing so, Maureen states Mark changed out of his hand-me-down L.A. gear, excuse me, changed out of his school shoes into his hand-me-down L.A. gear sneakers. Did you ever have to change your shoes? No. My shoes, nice shoes, dirt. Dirty shoes, dirt. Dirty shoes, school. I never change shoes, ever. I don't think I ever. ever. Mm. I mean, I think I had like a very, very nice, nice pair of shoes that I never wore anyways. But then it was like tennis shoes all the time. Our horses, anytime. Flats, dirty. Birkenstocks, dirty. Boots, dirty. Dirty. I have no clean shoes at all. (laughs) I think I had like one, but it wasn't normal (laughs) for me to have school shoes and then after school play shoes. It was like Mm. kind of the same. They were all. I had my really nice church shoes that like hurt your feet and you never wanted to wear anyway. So they just sat there. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, (laughs) Maureen states Mark changes out of his school shoes and changes into these L.A. gear sneakers to climb this radio tower. It's a failed attempt, and so is climbing on top of the roof. Mark then decides to just ask his mom if he can walk closer to the fire since it's only just a short distance away. Maureen agrees, telling Mark to be careful and not be gone long. Mark telling his mother he will heads out. That's it. After Mark leaves his home, Maureen receives a phone call from her friend Anne, who needs a ride from Maureen since her car was in the shop. Maureen, being the good friend, agrees, heads out to her car, and before she gets in, notices Mark walking back toward the home in the direction of the Cape May County Park. Like, he was walking away from Cape May County Park toward... Back toward his home. Okay. Walking away from the fire. No. Nowhere near the fire. So we're thinking northeast, southwest, right? The park, he thought originally that he would get a good view from the park, which was like south, I believe. No, east, excuse me, from his house. It didn't end up working out that he could get a better view. So, so he had to go back the other right, way. Right, so now he's backtracking okay. back to his house to then head down toward okay. the beach line, okay. right? Got it. Maureen stops, heads over to Mark, explains the situation, and even asks Mark if he wants to go with her to pick up her friend. But because this fire's going on, he's super engaged in the idea of going and checking it out that he tells his mom no. They tell each other they'll see each other shortly. 
He'll be safe. He walks off, and that is the last time Maureen sees. Oh, man, that is heartbreaking. It's so sad. The timeline for Mark's movements that afternoon are so well documented because onlookers were all out that day watching first responders try to contain this fire. From police records, statements, and eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts, Mark Himbaugh's movements on Monday, November 25th, 1991 are as follows. Mark is last seen by his mother around 3.15 p.m. walking west away from his home on Sunray Road toward the shoreline. So when he saw his mom, he was walking away from the park, makes it home, and now he's walking on to the shoreline. To the fire. Correct. Okay. At the end of the street, Mark is seen by an older couple who state Mark is walking west, like his mother said, on Sunray Road, when he then turns left onto Delray Avenue heading south, which is in the direct line of, like, sight of the fire. He is now in a straight shot, if you will, toward the fire. Okay. So he leaves off his street, turns left, and is heading down. By 325-330, Mark is spotted by several onlookers around Fishing Creek, which is right directly next to the fire around 3 30 p.m mark is then seen walking back north along the beach line where he stops and conversates with a group of four teenage boys they joke with mark about setting the fire they have a brief exchange to which mark then crosses the stand dunes back onto delray avenue Toward the direction of his home. So he's now walking away from the fire home. The four boys head on toward the fire. Mark is one street over from his house when a family who is watching the fire from their car see Mark. At this point, he is about one tenth of a mile from his home. So close. Before turning the corner, his this family notices Mark starts talking to a man hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride trying to holler at oh, me. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want no scrubs. Scrubs together can't get to <laughs> Jesus. So this family notices Mark is talking... <laughs> You can leave it in. I don't care. Fans need to hear. This family sees Mark talking to this man standing outside of a car. They describe him as a white male with long, dark, shaggy hair that he was wearing glasses. He was standing like over the car, conversating with Mark. And then at some point, Mark walks on at approximately 3.50 p.m., Mark is seen by the Township County Park guard at the Cape May County Park, where Mark is walking with an unknown little girl between the ages of 11, excuse me, between the ages of 9 and 11, and she has dirty blonde hair and is wearing a dark blue ski parka with a hunter's orange stripe on the back of the jacket. 
This would be the last known sighting of Mark Kimball that day. Okay. Do we have any questions so far, Megan? Nope. I think I think I think we're doing a good job here. We're following along. Descriptions are good, although. You know, the 90s, that jacket, that just seems like a very 90s jacket that that little girl totally. was wearing. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> I can picture it in my head right now. Pretty sure we had, someone in my family had like a a dark forest, not dark forest green, but like maybe like a Kelly green jacket. Yeah, Kelly green jacket with like a fuchsia pink stripe on the back. Like, the whole jacket was Kelly green, <laughs> but it had pink stripes on it, like, on yeah. the back and on the arm. Was, I can exactly see it. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, one of those whoop, whoop, whoop. Yes. It, it is very much a 90s jacket. So, due to the location of this fire, it was right off of Bayshore Road, the main road which connects Mark's neighborhood with the one just south of the marsh. It was blocked off for over two hours Authorities created a forced detour for cars to turn right into Mark's neighborhood off of Bayshore Road where they would have to follow the neighborhood streets around back out onto Bayshore Road and would be forced to turn left, which would then lead them back out to the main highway and subsequently the longer route around to wherever it was they were trying to go. Because Bayshore Road was the cut-through road. Does that make sense? Like, the best way I can describe it is think this whole vicinity is more or less a circle. And Bayshore Road cuts right through that circle. It was a shortcut. mm -hmm, Because it was blocked off, cars were forced to detour through that very first neighborhood before the fire, which was Mark's neighborhood, make a large U-turn, circle back around, and then go out onto the main highway and take the longer extended route around to get into that southern neighborhood. So there's a lot of new cars in this area. Completely. A lot of new cars, a lot of unnecessary traffic. Unpredictable traffic. Unnecessary, well, necessary traffic because of the fire. Right, but it's un unusual for the time and it's unfortunate because of this detour be maureen her little 10 minute trip to get her friend ended up taking almost an hour well over an hour she doesn't get home Jeez. until 4 15 4 20 when she last saw mark at 3 15 so she's getting home right at or right after an hour and th- that trip should have taken her 10 minutes. She immediately notices Mark is not back. At first, she doesn't think much of it. He's either out watching the fire. He's made his way over to the teacher's house to see his friend because that was what their plans originally were for the afternoon. So what does Maureen do? She picks up the phone. She calls the teacher. She calls Mark's friends. Nobody has seen him. No one knows what's happened to him. So at that point, she starts to get worried. The sun is setting. The streetlights are coming on. I don't know about you, Megan, but my parents' streetlights are on your ass. You better be on that porch. Yes. Streetlights are on. Your ass is home. Yeah. And if I have to come looking for you, you're in trouble. Yeah. If you hear the whistle, you are S-O-L. Did your mom whistle? No, my dad did. And it was piercing. 
My um, mom can whistle. When I heard that whistle, I better be wherever that whistle was. And it was loud. Loud. Yes. My mother can. Yes. My mother does that whistle. Like if we're in a crowd and need to be found, she can do this whistle. And it's like, there's my mom. Yeah. We're like, all right, where are we going? (laughs) Oh, it's yeah. So Maureen calls around because the streetlights are on and Mark's not home. He's MIA. No one has seen him. Teacher doesn't know where he's at. Friends don't know where he's at. Streetlights are on. It's now getting dark. So Maureen calls for police to bring in help. She has to find her son. So an officer is sent out. As almost literally immediately after these ambers of the fire are starting to cool, this town now has to turn right around Oh my God, and do search and rescue. Exactly. Jesus. Like, imagine this small town has just spent the entire afternoon busting ass to put out a fire. I bet their first thought was that he may have gotten too close to the fire. I bet that that you know, was I never first thought of thought. that. Like, hey, did he get too close? I never thought of that. That's possible. That's so that possible. That would have been their first thought. No initial, way. like, yeah, a very initial, initial yeah. yeah. Well... I can't say whether or not that was the case, but what I can tell you is that over 200 volunteers fanned out in a massive search party combing through the park, sweeping the beaches, the neighborhood, and the surrounding marsh and woodlands looking for Mark. Initially, police just assumed that he was a lost or runaway child. So he wasn't initially labeled a runaway Fully. I mean, they did factor in that he could be lost. So that could factor into what you were saying is could he have gotten into the fire? It's possible. Mm -hmm. A New Jersey state police helicopter equipped with infrared cameras to detect heat sources went up into the sky, sweeping over the vast acreages of undeveloped land in hopes of spotting some sign of Mark, maybe trapped in a sinkhole or lost somewhere within the marsh. And we do have to remember this is November in New Jersey. Freezing cold. On the beach. It's freezing cold. And I believe the records for that particular day, the temperatures went down into the low 30s that night. So, yes, everyone's initial response was if this is a lost boy, he may not make it through the night because of the temperatures. So everyone's out searching for him They do not find anything relating to Mark until later in the evening when one single left sneaker is found on the beach about 75 yards from Mark's home. And this is a little bit north. So it's 75 yards north of Mark's home, which is even further from the fire. Okay, so, okay. So you have his home, the fire... So you have like his fire on the southernmost part. In the middle of that, you have his his home. And then about 75 yards north of his home, you find this one single left LA gear sneaker. The Hmm. same beach that he had been walking on earlier in the day. However, it is about a half of mile west from where he was originally last seen at the park. Mm -hmm. So, 
Again, let's talk about this. You have a circle. Let's just use a circle or a square or whatever. You have Mark's home. On the far right, you have the park. And on the far left and up a little bit is where you find the shoe. But way far down south of Mark's house, not far south, but whatever, you have the fire. So it's like, and all of this is within a half mile yeah, radius so of each other. he would have had to walk past his house from the park to get to that beach. So if he was last seen at the park. Yeah. Yes, he would last have had to no then location. walk past his home. Drop the shoe off, and then at some point, leave from the beach. Okay. At that point, trained canines and bloodhounds were brought in to track Mark's scent, which led north to Roosevelt Boulevard, where the trail stopped, causing police to believe that Mark then was placed into a vehicle, which drove off. So again, Roosevelt Boulevard is the street directly north from where the shoe was found. So if he was picked up at that park, it's odd that his shoe would be over on the exact opposite side west where his shoe was found. Mm. Sounds, and then the street, it sounds like it was... It's a cookie trail. Exactly. A cookie trail. Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Now, police would find two shoe impressions leading up to the single sneaker and one single footprint walking away from the shoe toward the road. Does okay. that make sense? No. So you have the shoe. Yep. Shoe is in the center and you have someone's shoe prints like they are wearing shoes, walking in the sand Two feet. Do, 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 do. obviously an adult shoe. Couldn't tell you. Okay. Two shoe prints walking up to the okay. shoe. From the shoe, you then have a single footprint, meaning someone took their shoe off and they're walking barefoot, but with just one foot away from the shoe. Hmm. It's very odd. Very, very odd. Okay. Maureen confirms to police that, yes, the shoe is Mark's hand-me-down from his brother, Matthew. However, the downside is everyone thought they were looking for a lost or runaway boy. So no one marked off the exact location where the shoe was found. The area was not roped off or labeled as a crime scene. No photos were taken of the shoe before it was picked up. And because police and authorities believed Mark was lost or had run away from home, the shoe was handled and touched by everyone. Oh, my God. Searchers, Over 200 volunteers. Jesus. Searchers, law enforcement, the Himbaugh family, detectives years later, everyone has touched this freaking shoe. Oh. The town of Delhaven conducted a massive five-day land, air, and sea search, but never found anything else relating to Mark. The search ended up being called off at the start of December. Police would seek the public's help to ask anyone who had happened to video record the fire that day to submit that footage to police for review, which I think is kind of actually smart. That's really smart, especially with all the people with the the camcorders out. The VHS on the shoulder. 
Mm-hmm. That yes, a lot of people had those. By mid December 1991, a trust fund called Friends of Mark was created to accept donations in an effort to offer a reward for Mark's return. Atlantic City heavyweight boxer Reddick Bow heard about Mark's disappearance and dedicated his fight against Elijah Tillery on December 13, 1991, for Mark's return. During this fight, Reddick Bow's team wore shirts displaying Mark's picture with captions reading, Help us find Mark. Reddick was escorted into Trump Plaza Convention Hall where the fight was held by Matthew and Jody Himbaugh, and the fight was broadcasted to an estimated 17 million viewers. And in addition to all of this, Reddick gave $15,000 to Friends of Mark, bringing the total reward fund to Mark's safe return to $25,000. Wow, so it's like the milk carton all over again. And he was, yes, he was definitely featured on America's Most Wanted and Milk Cartons. But really quick about this fight, I actually went back and watched it because I <laughs> wanted to see what, what he actually wore. Because on one account, I read that it said Reddick Bow actually wore Mark Hemba's picture on his dress robes. And his boxing gloves. And no, he does not. So that news article was false because I watched the fight and his team is all surrounded, surrounding him. Like, you know, when they walk out in the hall, he's in the center. His entire posse is around them. I would say 70, 75% of them are wearing Mark Himbaugh shirts. The rest of them are wearing Trump Plaza shirts and Trump Plaza (laughs) hats, which was fucking hilarious to me. Uh, And then, like I said, the rest of them are wearing all Mark Himbaugh stuff. And then you see Jody Himbaugh and Matthew Himbaugh in front of Reddick Bow, and they escort him out. Like, they're in front of him walking. So I thought that was kind of cool, but... Even with 17 million views, nothing comes from this. They don't get any hits. They don't get any leads. Right. Well, because he obviously went missing from that small town. Like, your leads are going to come from that small town, obviously. Mm-hmm. From the people that were out that day. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. After police spoke with two younger boys who were located on the opposite (laughs) side of the fire and had seen two men acting weird, a composite sketch was completed. Entering in composite sketch one, which was actually of two separate men. So really two composite sketches done at the same time. The FBI would announce it was aggressively pursuing an individual in connection with Mark's disappearance, but surprise, surprise, nothing comes of nothing it. Nothing comes of it. Nothing. Because happens. it's a small town. It's the FBI. Talk to the small town people. Small town gossip knows where it's at. No, exactly. but the FBI gets involved and then nothing. And like we had just stated, Mark is then featured on all these shows in the 90s. He's on. Milk cartons, he's on billboards, nothing comes from this. On the one-year anniversary, the Himbaugh family held a candlelight visual for Mark's return. 
and they played the song Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Oh. Gut wrenching. Oh. oh my God. And for anyone who doesn't know, that song is written about his child that died, which is even more freaking heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's a sad song. Enter a song here. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Eric Clapton. <laughs> The New Jersey State Police were brought in to be a fresh set of eyes on the one-year anniversary. Reviewing the files and statements, investigators decided to re-interview the family that saw Mark speaking to the gentleman standing outside of his passenger ride of his best friend's drive. Oh, God. Trying to holler at me. Let me guess. The scrubs, we don't want none. I don't want no scrubs. Scrubs gotta can't get no. Okay, so they yes they re-interview them and from that they complete a composite sketch, which now enters in sketch number two, which is of a third person following along. Yes, sketch so two, we have three third person suspects sketches. Correct, because the first sketch by the two boys was of two men. So mm-hmm. sketch one, two men. Sketch two, one man. We are now two sketches. Two different time sketches were done. Three like people. Three people. So three potential suspects. Correct. Not not all connected, but three potential Now suspects. this sketch that the family provides is the one that is probably the most well-known and famous within the Mark Hembaugh case. The gentleman with the glasses, the long hair, shaggy hair. Yes. The one that resembles someone we will be chatting about here shortly. On the one-year anniversary, six state troopers assist the Middle Township Police at different checkpoints along Bayshore Road and Cape May County Park South. They show drivers a composite sketch of a man seen talking to Mark. Now, I have cannot confirm if this is the sketch from the family or the sketch from the boys. Either way, none of these sketches make it out to the public. But they do have checkpoints where they are showing this sketch to the drivers, but it's not widely publicly broadcast. Okay. 18 months after Mark went missing in a weird twist, but I think it's worth noting, a lady by the name of Joanna Cortez and her boyfriend, Harry Conrad, are charged with child endangerment and criminal restraint for abusing and holding Joanna's 11-year-old granddaughter captive and torturing her. Oh, They are God. great fucking people. Stand-up citizens. Let's just give them a fucking round of fuck you applause. No. Who beats children? Why are you looking at me like that? Like, I'm being sarcastic. I don't really think they're stand-up <laughs> no. citizens. No, please don't. <laughs> I was totally being sarcastic. Yes, yes, yes they yes. are asshole of asshole people. They beat an 11-year-old, hold her captive, they torture her. Now, this family lives down the street from the Himbas, and apparently the two of these children played together often and were seen outside all, quite a bit together. So... Joanna Cortez and Harry Conrad are never charged in connection with Mark's disappearance, but I felt like it was worth noting that they're pieces of shit. 
but also it's i agree too especially if they like knew of mark maybe not had like actually been introduced to him but if the kids played together yeah then it's worth noting they're probably in the same class yeah could be In 1993, two years after Mark's abduction, a male prostitute named Daniel Call comes forward to police stating he saw a video of a young red-haired boy being sexually assaulted by one of his clients, Thomas Buttcavage Jr. Buttcavage. Buttcavage patch. Got it. Got it. <laughs> oh my God, cabbage patch, dude. He kind of does with the glasses <laughs> and the hair. Just yeah. yes, okay. Butthole cabbage patch. Butthole cabbage patch is apparently in a video. Okay, well let me just back up. Butthole cabbage patch threw me off there. That's <laughs> okay. Daniel Call told police that he believed the boy in the video was Mark Hembaugh. Daniel Call would tell investigators that on the night of February 14th, 1993, he was with Thomas Butthole Cabbage Cabbage Patch Jr. at his home when Butt Cabbage played a video he made of a young boy with red hair who was handcuffed, shackled, ball gagged and was being sexually raped and tortured by none other none other than butthole butt cabbage probably not the best terminology there but we're going with it but because he's a fucking loser what a fucking scumbag i mean dude straight up he's a fucking asshole and and redheads Stop me if you're going to about to talk about this, but redheads have some special value for some sick, sick individuals. They do. They? they do. They absolutely do. I don't have any proof or we don't, we aren't talking about any like legit stuff of that. But yeah, I do mention that later on in our theories because yes, it is unfortunate that that happens and we can dive more into that later on. So okay. Daniel Call would go public with his story years later, and he told NBC10 when talking about the video, that looks like the little boy from South Jersey, and Tommy told me it was him. He confessed to me and said it was him. I said, what did you do with him? He said, well, I did like I did the rest of them. I dispose of them. What do you mean the rest of them? And Buck Cavage responded with, well... I got five or six other kids I did. Call stated, quote, I remember looking at the little boy's face and just the look on his eyes. I mean, completely. You ever see fear just through the eyes? Man, the little boy was scared to death. That, that fucking Whoa. hit me because I'm like, I don't know if anyone has ever seen fear in someone eye, someone's eyes, but sad like you can only imagine like genuine fear in someone's eyes like that has to be something that you will never ever ever get out of your head 11 years old and the guy confessed to more what what more can you 
I mean, oh, right. God. Calls tip led police to a search warrant to be ex- executed on or at Butt Cabbage's house, Butthole Cabbage's house. So police were able to do a search. They couldn't find anything relating to Mark. They couldn't find anything relating to this video that Call had seen. But Cabbage would go on to deny any involvement in Mark's disappearance, and he has never been charged in relation to the case. Six years after that, Cabbage Patch pled guilty to numerous sex crimes involving young boys in Chester County, and he is serving a 36-year prison sentence at Greater Ford State Prison in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Where I hope he is living the lavish life of getting tortured himself. You said it, not me, but yes, exactly. I hope he is living living the life of having all kinds of hemorrhoid problems. Living the life of a child (laughs) rapist. I hope he has hemorrhoids. Tortured every day with explosive diarrhea and hemorrhoids. (laughs) it is not funny what happened to mark himbaugh but i find that to be absolutely hilarious and hope that all of that happens to him i don't listen i do not have sympathy for people that touch children that abuse children when you violate someone's rights like that you can kick rocks You know what? You can kick air. You don't even get rocks, bro. You aren't even afforded rocks. You can kick imaginary things. You can fake, kick fake air. December 27th, 2010, Crime Stoppers would receive a call from a payphone in Port Richmond section of Philadelphia. This caller was a man who stated he was a son of a witness to a crime. He gives the name Gilbert Patrick Marie, the weird thing is police apparently also received a similar call that day in context, as well as the same one as Crime Stoppers. Local police and Crime Stoppers received the same call. Police have not released the recording or stated if it's connected in any way, but it's, it's interesting. Could be a farce, though. Black Hall Photography, located in the heart of Old Town Louisville, is a five-star rated photography business with over 15 years of experience. Kelly Blackall, the owner of Black Hall Photography, has a way of making anyone feel confident and comfortable in those sometimes awkward shots. She can get a wonderful photo of anyone, even those Chandler Bing clients. Kelly can capture shots that look effortless and natural while locking in beauty around. Blackall Photography will handle your class portraits, engagement photos, or even that perfect political campaign headshot. Kelly has done it all and loves to get creative with her clients. If you have been on the fence about getting those updated headshots or need family photos for the holidays, reach out to Kelly and book your session today at Blackall Photography on Instagram. That's B-L-A-C-K-A-L-L Photography or you can visit at blackallphotography.com. Schedule your perfect shots today, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Power Project Collective ad. So we're going to talk about suspects. We've obviously talked about Thomas Buckcabbage Jr. 
In 2015, authorities made a public appeal for anyone that knew Buck Cabbage throughout the 80s and 90s to contact them because they wanted to basically gain any knowledge they can about what he was doing, his whereabouts during that. His whereabouts, what was happening. Exactly. And it's at this point in time when police decide that it's the right opportunity to showcase their composite sketch of the family provided by the family who saw the young man or the man outside of his best friend's ride talking talking to mark Mark. and now when you look at this and we've looked at them Mm -hmm. they look very Very similar similar. (laughs) very very similar really so this was in 2015 2015 police publicly released this sketch they also publicly announced that they are asking anyone that knew buck cabbage during the 80s and 90s to contact them that they believe that he is a person of interest in mark's disappearance we will obviously have all of these out on our social channels and our blog for you guys to all look at. I am going to put up all of the composite sketches that are out there and I'll note which ones are which. Now, remember we talked about that's the second composite sketch, the f- third person, second composite sketch, right? Yep. So this is the one of the man... I just want to clarify, like, this is the one of the man the family saw. With the car. Standing, not the one with the boys. On his way to the, Mark was on his way to the park. Correct. Theoretically. Yes. If we believe the timeline, the family saw him and then Mark was then, yes, heading to the park. This was the man seen outside of the passenger side. Another, another, another. William O'Connell is another suspect that I want to mention. William O'Connell is a Catholic priest. Dun, dun, dun. And he lived two miles from the Himba house in Lower Township, New Jersey. Pedo priest O'Connell moved to Lower Township in 1991 from Rhode Island, where he had served a year in prison. In a work release program, after pleading no contest to a 1986 second-degree sexual assault charge and a one-count contributing to a delinquency of a minor. Hmm. Yes. And this act apparently involved three teenage boys from the late 70s and early 80s. O'Connell was like the other priests that we've talked about. Where he would just magically move to a different place. Exactly. And all would be forgiven. The Lord save your soul is okay for you, Priest O'Connell. Because you will just say you're sorry and move on to a new parish. The Lord provides. (laughs) No, that is some devil fucking shit right there. Like, you touch kids, that ain't. That ain't Jesus. Jesus don't be touching kids. This O'Connell priest was later arrested and pleaded guilty in 1994 to sexual assault and endangering the welfare of a child. Hmm. Yes, there are... Let me guess, at camp? 
Probably. I bet you their camp names are fucking stupid, too, where it's like some bullshit. You know what I mean? Like Camp Sunshine. Like, <laughs> there ain't nothing fucking sunshining about this bullshit camp you got up running in here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Camp Dreary Days. <laughs> <laughs> oh. If you don't laugh, you'll cry, guys. <laughs> Just gotta point that out. Okay. Camp raindrops and, and rainbows. <laughs> Cramp. Camp. Cramp. Camp dreary sunsets. Camp cranberry. I thought was what you were going to say. Camp cranberry. Cantberry. <laughs> yeah. Camp, Camp O'Connell can just walk off a fucking pier. There are more than a dozen charges around O'Connell. They've all been merged. I'm not going to sit here and talk about him. He is a sicko priest that I did write quite a bit on him, but truth be told, the more we're sitting here talking about him, I don't want to give him any fame. Like he's Mm -hmm. a dickwad. He is a child predator. And I don't know if he's involved necessarily. There's been nothing to connect him to Mark's case. I am aware of that. I personally don't believe that he's connected. I don't personally, and I get into this later on, think that he is the one directly involved in it. But I think there's you could talk about bigger pictures. Yeah, exactly. Bigger pictures, right? He's a scumbag, and he has been dealt with. Correct. Now, I will say that the Lower Township Police at one point raided O'Connell's bungalow. They did find thousands of photographs of underage boys, many of them within the community and surrounding communities. Numerous of those children were in sexually explicit videos. Oh, my God. And like I stated before, there is no evidence to connect O'Connell to Mark's disappearance, and he has never been charged in Mark's like anything related to Mark's disappearance. Investigators working Mark's case have said publicly that they cannot rule out the fact that Mark could have drowned or got stuck in the marsh, but they are also investigating his disappearance as a potential stranger abduction. And they go on to say that Thomas E. Buttcavage Jr. is the main person of interest in the disappearance of Mark. Start this over, Charles. Charles, we're starting this over. Okay. In November 2021, an email tip came through to a private investigator by the name of Louis B. The person stated they tried to contact the FBI 10 years ago, but had no follow-up. They went on to say that the little girl seen with Mark that day could have been a little girl by the name of Jess who attended Lower Township Sandman Elementary School at the time. The email tip goes on to say there was a girl at the school that he remembered who had a similar jacket to the one described on the mystery girl that was last seen with Mark that day at the park. The blue parka with the orange stripe across the back. The person reporting the tip stated they didn't remember her last name, only Jess, and that she looked similar to the sketch. So... That's some interesting, more recent news. And I believe that the police department are now asking anyone that went to the lower township Sandman Elementary School between the years of 1990 and 1993 
to pull out their yearbooks and their school records and, try and to see find this girl. Yes, see but if they also, can find any Jess. One Jess, very common name. Is it Jess? Is it Jessica? Is it <laughs> Yeah, two. Josephine. We we literally just talked about how popular that kind of Parker Puffer Parker Parker Jesus Parker Parker <laughs> Parker puffy jacket. Yes. Was popular in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So how many young girls had that same exact jacket? Just like that LA gear sneaker yes. that Mark was wearing that day. Exactly. Exactly. Agreed. Now let's be real, maybe a par- popular jacket, but we all know not ever. I didn't have everything that was popular growing up. That's very true as well. So, like, while something could be popular, only maybe four, three or four, five kids had yeah, it. Yeah, if even if you, oh my god, if even only one Jess comes forward and she's like, "Yeah, I went to school during that time," it would definitely help narrow down the search for this young girl. Mm-hmm. What though, too? Like, if thinking about this, like, what if she goes by Jess, but her name's Nicole? Her name's Megan. That is also very common, too. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, she looks like her, but her name ain't Jess. Her name's Susan or yeah, what they have go by, you. Like, their middle names. Yeah. Especially a nine, 11 year old. You, you think that you can change your name on a whim? Mm hmm. Mark is listed in NamUs, and within the last year, authorities have been working with Othram Labs to see about testing the shoe for DNA. One, to confirm definitively that it is, in fact, Mark's shoe. Because if it is, his DNA will absolutely be present. But also, two, to see... on the see, inside. I can't mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or his brother, Matthews, which would be able to right. determine, yes, this was the shoe. Okay. But they also want to see if it's possible that they can get DNA linking anyone else to the shoe. Now, while everyone touched this shoe... We do also have to think, if, let's play the scenario that Buck Cabbage did this, he is now a registered sex offender. His DNA is in the system. So if they can pull Buck Cabbage's DNA off of a shoe that has confirmed DNA to the Himbaugh family, I mean, I don't. that doesn't prove definitively that he did anything with Mark, but I think it leads us to the answer of we know what happened. I agree. If his DNA is anywhere on it, we, we know. Right. Now, I do not believe that at the time of this recording, it's been made public whether or not Othram Labs will be able to do anything with the shoe, whether or not they have found any DNA at this time, where they are at in the investigation, I don't know. The last thing I had heard, though, is that they are working with trying to see if this is a viable option to do. So we shall see. The Himba family made a statement recently that stated... The not knowing is indeed very painful to our family to deal with. However, it is because of the sincere outpouring of concern, including moral support, assurance for continuing searches, compassionate news coverage, and everyone's earnest belief that Mark will be found, that we are able to keep up hope. Maureen Hembaugh has stated, quote, I've accepted that I could go to my grave and not know. I don't want that. I want closure because the not knowing is the hardest. In my heart, I know he's probably gone because of the time, but you can't give up. I'm not 
giving up on him coming home. I'm not. Just so sad. Wow. She's been waiting 30, over 30 years. It'll be 32 years, I believe, this year. Well, it's just like Madeline Kane, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that gets yeah, more and all news that- traction. Sadly, that gets more news traction. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the same. So sad. It's very sad. Very, very sad. And she's still fighting. She still lives in the same home. That Just Mark grew up in. She never moved. She's waiting. God, that's got to be so much trauma on the family, though, coming back for holidays. Oh, I know. Thanksgiving has to be, like, the worst. It has to be mm. so emotional. Just a very emotional holiday. Like, yeah. on one hand, you're dealing with the grieving and the sadness of the anniversary of your child leaving your life and and having probably hor- going having to go through horrible experiences to also it's thanksgiving and you want to rejoice and be thankful for the things that you do have in the family that you do have and the love and the people surrounding you but my god yeah so sad and i bet she doesn't leave the house close to that day either i bet not that's the case of mark himball what are your theories your thoughts your questions your concerns I don't know. I think it's Cabbage Patch. I mean, it has to be. I don't, I don't know. But then also, is that like the easy easy option? The easy way out? It could also be something bigger happening, but it's such a small town. You would think that somebody would have seen something. You know? Mm-hmm. I think if they could also find that little girl too, that would be something as well. Not that she would remember, she was nine. Like, hey, what was that conversation that you were having with Mark back in 1991? She'd be like, uh, what? I mean, she could have maybe been witness to something and That's in true. a weird way blocked it out. Or no one's ever asked her, so she's just never said anything. Mm-hmm. Who knows? That's true. What do you think? I think a couple things. I think that, I mean, I obviously have my notes here that I wrote. I I wrote down a few things. Obviously, we all know pedophiles, they run in a circle jerk. They're all a bunch of fucking sickos running around with each other, showing off their new whatever you want to call it. Manipulating perwists. Yes, whatever have you. So I think this video with Mark is interesting. I think that I, I don't necessarily want to discredit Daniel Call. I don't think that he's never once asked for anything. He's never once. It's not like he was coming forward to get a lesser charge for anything. And he didn't get a reward for anything. No. And the idea that redheads seem to be a certain dollar value commodity if you will in this industry it's not abnormal to think that and so for me it's like if buck cabbage made this video it's not like burning a cd was today he has the one copy he probably could have sold it and made some serious money off of it you know what i mean it's not like he would have been able to make a plethora of copies easily back in the 90s so i feel like he could have sold it 
and made a profit off of it. I also think that the priest is an interesting twist. Now, like I said earlier, I don't think the priest necessarily is the one that abducted Mark. But when you think larger picture, bigger child sex trafficking rings, and they're all connected, could it be that Mark was spotted that day and was the target? And picked up and moved from house to And house. that maybe the priest wasn't involved, but maybe the priest is involved with a network of pedophiles that were connected to Mark's disappearance. I think that's possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think that, like I said, the priest was the one that was involved, but could the priest be a, a part of that larger picture? Sure. Another interesting thing for me are the sketches. Yeah. Now, when I first researched this case, I never really actually even saw the first original sketches of the two men. Going back, re-researching this case again, I come across the second, like these very first two sketches. And those were discredited, They right? were because they were by, up? yes, because they were by younger boys. They were done by like some 10-year-old boys who were on the opposite side of the fire who saw someone questionable. Okay. So they did not deem that to be, quote unquote, credible. And I get where they're going with that. So I get why they want to focus more on the family that saw Mark talking to that man and go off that composite sketch. I'm with you 100% on that. However... These two sketches that were the first ones done, when I started looking through them, one of them resembled a guy by the name of Paul Bonacci. And I'm sure some of our listeners may know who that is. I don't know if you do, Megan. He is a guy from the 90s who was involved in a lot of different allegations against child sex trafficking ring and the abduction of several young boys throughout the Midwest. And when I saw this photo, I just kind of thought that it looked like it could be him. And this is all right around the same time. This kid, Paul, claims that he was out. He was abducted as a child. He was raped. But then he was also forced to abduct and rape other children. And so if he's actually out here saying that this happened and I'm looking at this photo, I'm like, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think he could. Again, I don't know that he did. I'm not saying he did or didn't. But if it is a larger ring, how do we not know that they're not all connected? How do we know that Buck Cabbage wasn't working with someone else? You know what I mean? I don't know. The sketches may not be related at all. They may or may not. I definitely think the family sketch of the one guy is 100% related. I also want to say that I think it's actually really remarkable and a smart idea for police at the time to ask anyone that had videotaped the fire to submit it. And I would like to know if anyone did and if that has been reevaluated. I'd also like to see if anybody come came forward with like yearbooks with quote unquote Jess. Yeah. The Jess, I mean, and that's a newer one. The Jess tip is a newer, newer one, but in the nineties, they had asked them. Everyone was videotaping. Yeah. They would videotape random ass shit, random ass shit. Yes. 
like, oh, I think let's just let's test the thing out and make sure we're recording it right. So we're going to record the five o'clock news or what have you. Yeah. But no, totally. So I wonder, like, did somebody's uncle or aunt Even or grandma, you know, yes, record it and they're recording something else. But in the background, you see someone. So I'm I'm curious to know if anyone submitted any. Yeah, and I can't imagine it'd be hard to miss fiery red hair. Right, either. or Buck Cabbage. Yeah. Are we now looking, because we now, now we know. know what we need to be looking for. So has, can we go, if there was anything submitted, have we gone back through it? And if not, have we made a second public appeal yeah. to, hey, I hate to say it, hey, don't want to be morbid. cleaners. Why don't you look through your parents' attics and see if you can find some old tapes from this time in this area. If you lived in this area, look through them. Because you know we're all doing that right now. I like how you're more like optimistic. My cynical ass was going more of like, <laughs> so when your parents die and you're going through their basement. No, you do that before. You help them get but rid of still, things But still, like you find video clips. I know my great aunt has eight yeah, millimeter you, film just chilling in her basement. Eight millimeter film. Sometimes you get that itch too. You're like, you know what? Let's, let's start. Just digging through that shit. Yes. Let's just so get that shit. if you start digging through that and you find why did mom and dad record some random fire in New Jersey in the 90s? I don't know. Maybe look at it. Maybe look at the people that are walking around. Do you see Mark? Is there a timestamp? Do you see a car? Do we see someone talking to him? I find that interesting. So I find that those are the, the questions I Were have. Were you videoing the volunteer stuff too? Like, was there anybody out there doing footage of that? You know, and I also I wondered have some regarding about that too. Okay, well, before you get into that, I do want to just say one thing. The other thing I thought about this case was, was this fire set intentionally? No. To divert someone? No way. Or was it just by happenstance? I think it was just by happenstance, for sure. Maybe, but what were you going to say about the volunteers? The volunteers, like, obviously they weren't vetted. (laughs) No, so not what always. If someone that's known to happen. What if someone? I know what you're gonna say. Snatched Mark, put him in a car, wherever, and then they were like, "Oh shit, people are gonna be looking for this kid. What if I join this search and do a decoy setup of where he was taken, while I'm also saying that I'm searching for him?" Oh, by the way, I'm the one that found his shoe on the beach. Well, I don't know about all that. I don't know who yeah, found the shoe. I'm going too far into that. But, I, but you know. what you are talking about on people of interest inserting themselves into the case, we all know that happens. Yeah, We've 100%. seen that. Yeah. I mean, and so that's why I feel like, okay, well, let's go back to the road blockade that day. Did we keep records of cars that we talked to? No, Did we keep records of that? people we talked because to? Because it was just a simple detail. Because was that's any okay. of them Thomas Buckcavage? Could be interesting to know. Like, I don't know. That's true. Well, that's what we got on Mark Himbaugh. He has been missing. Still missing to this day. Over 30 years, his mother, Maureen, is still around, his brother. So he'd be 42-ish? 
42-ish. It's sad. His brother is married with children. I believe his mother, yes, does still live in the same house that he went missing from, which is just 75 yards away from where that shoe was found. So she drives by that. She drives on Bayshore Road every time she gets out on that in the car. Wow. That is the case of Mark Himbaugh. Tell us what you think. We will have the questions and all the stuff. But Megan, do you want to... the sketches. We'll have the sketches. Yes. Do you want to take it away for our, our weekly spotlights? Yes, I will. First, we have Norman Donald Baxter, who was 31 years old when he was last seen on February 6, 2017 in West Warwick, Rhode Island. Norman is described as a white male with brown hair and green eyes. He was approximately 5 feet 9 inches tall and weighed around 190 pounds when he went missing. Norman was last seen wearing a black hooded sweatshirt, a white t-shirt, blue jeans, and a light and light blue sneakers. Anyone with information is asked to call the West Warwick Police Department at 401-821-4323. Next, we have Donald Joseph Connell, who was 28 years old when he was last seen on December 2nd, 1986 from Newport, Rhode Island. Donald is described as a white male with brown hair and blue eyes. He was approximately six feet tall and weighed around eight, 180 pounds when he went missing. Donald was last seen wearing his Donald was last seen leaving his parents' home walking to his sister's house one street over, but apparently never arrived and has never been heard from again. He wasn't reported missing until 10 days later on his sister's birthday. Anyone with information is asked to call the Newport Police Department at 401-847-1306. Last, we have Frank Robert Mazzella, who was 39 years old when he was last seen on February 7, 1999 in Westerly, Rhode Island. Frank is described as a white male with black hair and brown eyes. He was approximately 5 feet 10 inches tall and weighed around 170 pounds when he went missing. Frank was last seen wearing a dark-colored shirt, black jeans, and dark-colored shoes. Anyone with information is asked to call the Westerly Police Department at 401-596. And as always, I will remain loud, bold, and out there with all I do. You fine folks, stay vigilant, be aware, and always remember what the world means now is love, not hate. Yes. Don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe. Have a good day. And we'll see you all next week. Yep, yep, yep. Mm.